we certainly don't open up a lot of shows like that. Our intro clip comes from the incredible Walk Away Jam from June 14th, 2000 at Drum Logos in Fukuoka, Japan. One of the all-time great shows, and I couldn't be more happy to bring you today's episode. So welcome, everybody, to episode 75 of The Daily Soundcheck. I'm your host, Mike Lawn Memo Minio, and we have an incredible treat. Dave Calarco is back, Mr. Minor, and we do a deep dive into one of the most special, one of the most interesting, and certainly one of the most unique shows in fish history. Before we get to our conversation, let's just go over the basics. Of course, the Daily Soundcheck is a proud partner of the Osiris Podcast Network, which you can find at osirispod.com. We're also partnered with Jambase, who Dave coincidentally did some writing for on this Japan run. They do a great job, some great podcasts over there at Jambase as well. So if you need to get in contact with me for any reason, the best way to do that is hit me up on Twitter at Lawn Memo. You can reach the show at thedailysoundcheck.com. We've got all of our shows there, pictures of each venue we talk about, and links to anything that we discuss in the show. If you care to do so, there's also a spot you can support the show. There's a donation page there, a subscription page. If you want to, we bring the shows for free, but if you'd like to help out in any way, there's a spot to do it at thedailysoundcheck.com. Just want to let you know the other projects I'm running. I'm currently getting close to finishing up on Memo 365, which is a playlist I've been putting together for a year of 365 unique artists. No fish. And so if you're looking for something to throw on a, in the background, some music you want to try to check out and learn some new groups, you can hit me up or you can search on Spotify Memo 365. I'm also working on a fish project, which I call Memo Sections, which is me picking out my favorite clips from my favorite jams. I'm making a huge SoundCloud playlist. I've put a couple pics here up from Japan that we've talked about, and you can find those on Twitter, hashtag memo sections, or I can hook you up with the cool SoundCloud link. So if you're looking for some cool fish jams, I got you covered. So let's get into my conversation with Dave Calarco. Now, this is Live Fish 4. 614 2000 and drum logos and just an incredible show you're going to hear us really get into it gush about it you can actually hear some excitement in my voice for once and i was really happy with the job dave did uh recapping it and really you know he he had hit on some really cool points about this show and it's just i'm very excited to bring it to you so we'll play that it runs probably about an hour and five minutes the whole thing during that We're going to talk a little bit. We're going to play some clips of our favorite moments during the show. So Dave and I have picked these out. So you'll hear that. It's kind of a a cool thing that we're doing for today's show. I don't always have the opportunity to do that. We'll come back after the hour in five minutes. I will talk a little bit about the sound check, play that for you. It's about 10 minutes. And then I got an outro treat for you. So, So without further ado, here is Dave Calarco, a.k.a. Mr. Minor, in my conversation and deep dive into June 14, 2000, the Drum Logos Fukuoka Show in Japan. Okay, welcome back, everyone. I am very happy to have Dave Calarco, a.k.a. Mr. Minor, back here for our second run-through together, and we are talking about 
just an absolutely incredible show, June 14th, 2000. So Dave, welcome back. We're glad to have you. Thanks for doing the first episode and happy to have you for the second. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing well, man. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. I'm excited to be back to talk about one of my favorite fish shows that I ever attended. So I think this should be a fun episode. So I guess as, as we start here, I mean, it's pretty well known. I think that anybody that's ever listened to this show ranks it among the best ever. We're certainly going to get to that. But Dave has one of the experiences that I don't know too many people had. He was there at this incredible show. So Dave, how was this day? We talked about your, your run up to that. So you get to June 14th. And what was that day like? Did it feel different to you when you woke up? <laughs> or was it, was it just a, a normal day and then things changed? Well, we woke up in Nagoya because the last show had happened uh, the night before. And we were taking a train down to Fukuoka. And so we woke up. I frankly don't remember the details of the morning, but uh, I know we got on a train. I think it was about two and a half hour ride or so, and we got to Fukuoka. You know, much like what happens in US tours a lot, you know, you get to a city, you get to your hotel, and by the time you know it, it's time to go to the show. And um, frankly, I don't really remember a lot about the day leading up to the show. The first real memory I have is uh, walking from our hotel to the show and getting there, and it was um, a super chill scene out front. There were not a lot of people there. I remember um, that there were tickets still on sale. The show was not sold out. I think there were about 80 tickets still for sale. You could have walked up to the box office and purchased one, which is pretty wild in retrospect. <laughs> um, Certainly. I remember seeing a bunch of friends out front and hanging out for a bit before going inside. But, uh, you know, in terms of the day, in terms of the city itself, I, I don't got a lot. I don't have a lot to go on there. So this was your fifth show in six days? Yeah, fifth show in six days. This was a uh, an intense run. You know, the one day off after the three Tokyo shows and then four straight in three different cities. So there was a couple day of show travels, which is never a fun situation, but you have to do what you have to do. And so, yeah, this show was on an island, actually, a separate island in Japan. Uh, it's kind of known to be like a beach town. But as I mentioned, we never really saw the beach. Uh, we never saw much except for the club. But yeah, fifth show in six days. And so how were you feeling? Pretty tired, pretty energetic still? Or, you know, you get into a groove, you get enough sleep. I don't remember feeling particularly tired at all. No, I was I was excited. Yeah, nice. So tell us a little bit about uh, drum logos here. Drum Logos, yeah. It uh, was a pretty bare-bones venue. The overwhelming feeling you got when you walked into the room was just black. It was uh, you know, black walls. It was a dark-colored floor. There wasn't much going on visually uh, in terms of the room. The floor had a couple different levels to it. There were steps up, probably about three different levels to the main dance floor area. Um, and then there was a small, tiny little balcony that I remember the tapers, a couple tapers were at, but I'm not really sure how many people even watched the show from up there. But uh, it was a pretty nondescript room. It was small. I think the capacity was about 650 people. 
believe it was the second smallest show of the run uh, with Nagoya, the show we talked about last episode being the smallest. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, there's not a lot of not a lot of stuff going on with the actual room. It was just like a bare bones club. Sure. And where did you end up for the show? Um, I remember for the first set, I was on, I think, the lowest level on the floor, like closest to the stage. And then uh, for the second set, I was possibly on, like, I think the third, like the furthest back. Uh, It got a little crowded up front. I mean, I think there might have been bars going across for as they separated each area a little bit. And so I don't think it was completely free flowing back and forth. And so I remember the front section got a little crowded, uh, more crowded than I wanted to be. And there was plenty of space towards the back. And, you know, when I say towards the back, it's really not that far. (laughs) So uh, I wound up being a little further back for the second set. So I'm going to make this statement of all the fish shows that I've listened to and really analyzed. I, and just, the way that they hit me. If I had a time machine to go back and pick one show that I've never seen, it might be this one. And I think it's just the way that the music is and the way that I kind of like to lose myself at a show. And this music, in my opinion, from, you know, 614 does that more than almost any show. So I just want to know, like, as an overall feeling, how did you feel as the night unfolded? Like, as you were taking that music in, did you blast off to outer space? (laughs) <laughs> I mean, was it like, I mean, cause it's, I mean, just sitting here over the last couple of days, re-listening to this, every time I hit play, my mind just goes for, you know, two or three hours and it's just a, a special type of thing. So I was wondering like how that hits you in the moment and if that still happens to you today or. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, it was, it hit me profoundly in the moment, you know, specifically the second set, the first set was great. Don't get me wrong. It was, you know, a wonderful first set. Uh, but yeah, that second set is one of those portals where you kind of go to that place and uh, everything kind of falls away and you are in the moment and nothing exists and thoughts don't really exist. And um, it was uh, it was it was heavy. Uh, it was one of those nights where things just unfolded so naturally, uh, musically speaking, you know, it was just it was like pure flow the entire time. There was not a hint of tentative uh, playing. There was not a hint of anything being rushed or there was no sense that the band needed to play anything or get anywhere musically. You know, it was, I, I hear what you're saying about the time machine thing. I mean, this is kind of a, a dream fish show for me as well. Uh, if I were to, you know, write out or think out or dream out how I would want a show to unfold. It would be very much in this vein where the band's just playing and letting things go where they may and uh, really taking their minds out of it. It seemed to be a a very egoless show in a way where the band was very collaborative and uh, just kind of, as I said, flowing in the moment. And that really comes through when you listen back now, actually, there's a real sense of uh, presence to it. Yeah, I love the word egoless to describe that. That is it. You you very often or you don't often find that uh, in a in a whole show like this. Right. Uh, and especially like in the second set. Yeah, you barely you don't know who's I mean, sometimes you don't even know if anybody's playing anything. And that's kind of the beauty of it. 
Yeah. Uh, I love that word to describe it for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, fish often gets to those points within jams, you know, and even, you know, throughout the course of a jam, but for that to kind of happen for the entire evening is, is really something special. Sure. So like you, you spoke in our last podcast about how respectful the Japanese crowd was and how quiet those shows were. Was that the same for 614? Yeah, absolutely. No doubt. It was the same for all the shows, frankly. Um, you okay. know, they, they were like on it, like they were on the changes, like when there was a point where like, you know, they dropped into a jam or like it was appropriate to cheer, they would erupt. And then as soon as like music got serious and they were improvising and, you know, there was never a point where it felt like they weren't right with you, which was really just incredible about the whole week. Yes. And I I mean, this would be especially the show that you would want everybody to be kind of quiet because, you know, when they're not playing very many notes, you know, any kind of distraction can take you out of that moment. So that's that's amazing to hear. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It was it was it was very quiet in there for the show, for sure. Sweet. Um, So I guess we can kind of talk about what makes the show so special. So, I mean, it's kind of an interesting opener with Karini, which I'm sure not everybody knew at the time or, you know, I'd like to see like, you know, some of the Japanese people's faces when the, like a Karini opener hits, you know, like I, I like that kind of dynamic, how that unfolded. So it's a, it's a pretty rocking opener yeah. um, and really cool version. And then, you know, I love that like new school hard hit. And then they come with, with the curtain right after that. Yeah. Um, yeah, they, uh, you know, Karini wasn't the song that it was now at that point, you know, they didn't really play it all that often, you know, they played it, uh, you know, a handful of times throughout 99 and handful of times before 99, but like, uh, it was a, it was a, uh, it it was more of a rarity, you know, I wouldn't say a bust out or anything, but it was more of a rarity at that time. So it was a cool a cool opener for sure is certainly surprising something you weren't expecting yeah so then in my opinion i like the first sign of how i think the night's music unfolds is the cities and i think this version of the cities is just even slower than normal even more laid back which i feel like has this like cool way of setting up the night and especially coming out of like that beautiful composed piece of the curtain you know, I just love how like the curtain instead of the curtain with here, I love the curtain ending and then how they, they dove into cities. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that was a shock. You know, I didn't they had never done that before and have never done that since as far as I can remember. Curtain cities was a it was a heavy hitter for sure. Um, you know, that as you say, coming out of the composition to drop into the groove like that, it's like a sick juxtaposition and gets you kind of like right into the goo all of a sudden. And uh, yeah, I agree with what you're saying. The cities was super relaxed, you know, gave that kind of first sense that they were going to be kind of playing in this more collaborative, laid back way that we were talking about. And uh, it's, I agree with your assessment. Yeah. So we're going to do some things here. Uh, I'm going to play some clips from 614, uh, 2000 as we kind of go along. So we're going to play just a quick clip of, what we're talking about here in the city. So here's the a little bit of the cities. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, so then we come back, and I'm sure you really... Ex- I knew you were listening to this before we started. This is like... I mean, the city's is just like that little hint. The the gumbo is really where you're like, okay, this may be a special night. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's a great like one-two punch right there, getting into some really thick grooves right away. And, you know, you really... In both of the jams, and specifically the gumbo, you really get a sense of space in the music where they're... Um, you know, not playing a lot of notes and not overlapping with each other too much and just like uh, allowing the music to breathe. And uh, it it provides a sense of the vibe of what would come later in the night in the second set. Uh, But this jam itself is actually pretty sick. You know, you start... I agree, for sure. Yeah, like as it unfolds, you start to hear kind of like the atmospheric layers and effects from Trey and from Paige that will emerge later in the show. You know, the sound of Fukuoka as we know it kind of is birthed here in the gumbo jam. I couldn't agree more, Dave. This gumbo jam is outstanding in its own right, and I think it is really the table setter for what is to come. So we certainly need to play a clip So here is, coming out of the gumbo jam, some incredible music.
So after the gumbo, I, another awesome call in my opinion. So you have the cities in gumbo, which is slower and groovier. And this just like, like you said, atmospheric. And then you come with the ripping llama, which I just love the ins and outs of set lists like that. Yeah, absolutely. That's a, uh, it's a, it's a very cool transition and it, it actually happens pretty naturally for two songs that are so far apart from each other. But yeah, I mean, fish is all about juxtapositions and that is a, a great example of, um, you know, of taking two songs that, you know, on some level couldn't be further apart and blending them. And it was a really cool, a really cool segue and uh, one that I remember very vividly from the show. Sure. And then they follow up with Fee, always, in my opinion, fun to hear. I, one of my all-time favorite Fish songs. And I actually kind of like heavy things in this spot. I, I think it's a really gorgeous version. And yeah. I've always kind of been a fan, like when Trey really plays a good solo in heavy things, it can be beautiful. And I think yeah. this one is one of my favorites. Yeah, it's a fantastic song. I, I absolutely love it. And, you know, I was the last summer when they played it at some point, I, I leaned over to my buddy. I was like, the song always reminds me of Japan. And it does. And, you know, specifically this spot, it was it, it really fit quite nicely there um and this was you know right after the farmhouse album came out i believe the songs on that i'm not sure but uh yeah yeah it was just a, a song that they were playing a lot during this time period and it always brings me back to uh to japan i don't know whenever they play it that's where my mind goes i agree with you um when trey really leans into the solo it's awesome it's just a great uplifting like uh, invigorating song it's a it's a cool i like how you t you talk about that because there's certainly moments of songs that i've seen live at different times that you always go back to that and they just played it for me at the gorge for dinner at, at a movie that secret smile for me uh being at the gorge and seeing that at sunset i had never been a huge fan but all of a sudden that song made perfect sense to me at that time and i always think of that now and like it's a huge moment for me yeah. so I love that you bring that up. I think we all have a lot of moments like yeah, that. Yeah, I love Secret Smile, man. That's an awesome song. <laughs> that always brings me back so, to like 2003-ish. Yeah. yeah, so, yeah, that's cool. So, yeah, I, I really love that heavy things in that spot, too. And then we close out with Split Open and Melt, which is always a great closer, in my opinion. And then, again, like, you know, just like you said, the juxtaposition is like roaring its face again. It's like llama fast, fee kind of fun, heavy things as this uplifting. And then they close with this gnarly, just, you know, ambient, dissident, split open and melt. Yeah, it's an awesome first set, man. It's uh, it really like there's no there's no bullshit in there. It's a lot of awesome fish songs, a couple cool jammy parts. And uh, it's just uh, kind of to the point and. The split is a perfect exclamation point on it. I agree. It's a uh, it's a great version without getting too far out of structure, but uh, certainly exploring the uh, the melt space. And I remember it, I remember it hitting, and I remember it, it's kind of long actually. I think it's I think it's like close to fifteen minutes or so. Um, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, I think it's a a great. The first set is a great table setter for the second, you know, it's uh, it bands getting warmed up to the room, to the vibe of the night. And then uh, and then they come back and play the second set. And I think like 
the kind of cool part in retrospect of how that melt kind of ends the set is how ambient and dark and kind of out there it gets. And it kind of is almost like a, a really good precursor for how, you know, ending the first set, even though you're going to take a break. But if you were to just take the second set and put it over top of the end of the melt and just make it as one long track, it kind of like bridges the gap perfectly, in my opinion. Sure. Like, you know, sometimes you get like a ripping you know, whatever, Walls of the Cave Closers or Antelope that has this huge, humongous peak Mm -hmm. where Mel is not really like that. It kind of just leads into what they were going to do the second set. So I kind of love that in retrospect, how it all works together. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, for sure. So, and and I I know you and I have talked about this before. And it's really, I think this first set, which I mean, sure, we're going to talk about the second set and it's a whole nother level. But the first set is one of those sets for me where each track fits perfectly and it's I would have never thought about it that way. So if I'm listening to Karini, I'm never picking the curtain after that. I would never be like, oh, yeah, here comes City. <laughs> and every track like that in that first set is just where, where I would never think it was coming. But yet I thought it worked perfectly. Yeah, absolutely. And they're all great songs that you want to hear. I mean, you're always looking to hear a Karini Cities and a Gumbo. At least I am. And a Melt. Sure. I mean, there's like, you know, a bunch of songs that are... Uh, you know, favorites, and then they fill it in with like awesome, interesting other fish songs. You know, there's not the Kill Devil Falls type vibe or like any stuff that's like maybe you don't necessarily need to hear, you know, but uh, it's all just like classic fish in this set for sure. Nice. So, any other thoughts on the first set before we try to tackle the enormity that is the second set? Um, I don't think so, man. I think we kind of touched on each point, portion of it. Yeah, it's a it's a great set. You know, it's it's only eight songs. As I mentioned, like there's no point, there's no lulls in the set. It's uh, it's rock solid. I agree. I agree. I very much like the set, and um, you know, I try to make it a point to come back and listen to it because I I don't always just want to listen to the second set. The first is definitely worth hearing. Sure. So, all right. So, all right. Let's let's get to it the second set and I'll, I'll just let you kind of give an overview of your thought maybe what you thought at the time what you think about it now before we give it a breakdown sure. because maybe maybe as much as any set in fish history in my opinion this is a sum of its parts as opposed to like one single jam being the the most amazing thing i mean there's certainly that with the twist but this is a set that is just all from start to finish one, you know, almost atmospheric piece. Yeah, absolutely. Um, walking out of the club after this, I turned to my my friend Dan and I was like, this is the, that was the best show we're going to see this summer. And, you know, the U.S. tour hadn't even, we were still, you know, before the whole month-long tour started. And I was, I was like, you know, after that, I was like, all right, like, whatever, the rest of the summer is just gravy at this point. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, you know, as it turned out, I will still say that, you know, as by far the best show that they played that summer. But yeah, like, as you mentioned, it's essentially after the back on the train, which is kind of just like an intro to the set or like a table setter to get them back playing again. You know, the twist through the end of the set is essentially one piece of music. They never stop playing. It is, you know, flows impeccably from one spot to the next. It's just masterful playing from the band, you know, it is, uh, you know, you have your two monumentally centerpiece sections of it. 
uh, in the twist and in the jam out of twist into walk away. But essentially, like, it's tough to really even break it up, that whole section. It's really just one flowing piece of music. You know, there's just so much patience to the playing in this in this show, in this second set. It's, uh, it is, as we mentioned at the beginning, very egoless. Like, Trey is not up front a lot. Is that, in fact, Mike is the one kind of more up front in a lot most of the playing throughout this section and Trey and Paige are not really pushing a lot of lead melodies but really kind of laying back and adding colors and textures and tones they're really like painting this like impressionistic musical picture that is uh really just as I said like it's kind of just like dream fish for me like yeah everyone's got their own preferences and styles that they like in fish well this would be mine just kind of like this kind of like ethereal like quasi ambient but like still with like a back groove to it most of the time very atmospheric just really psychedelic and you know an interesting side note to this whole uh night was that you know it's it's fairly well known although i have certainly no from the horse's mouth type evidence that, uh, you know, the band was on mushrooms for this show. They mushrooms were legal in Japan. I don't know if they still are, but I remember that they were at that point because some of the kids from Japan were actually, I think I mentioned this last episode, like selling mushrooms, like very openly in Tokyo before the show. But, uh, as far as I know, and as far as kind of like, legend goes they were on mushrooms for this show and it kind of is not very surprising when you you hear the music and just hear how just patient and collaborative it is like yeah i think i think um what's what's interesting is you know this is certainly feels like all the other japan shows like it has the sound and as we talked about with the other four shows you hear this kind of 2000 and especially the japan 2000 sound but this is what i love about this show is it feels like all the other ones in this run but it also feels like its own thing oh yeah and and like you said like so it you know it you can you know where they are in musically but like you said something definitely could have happened and i've heard things like that as you said where this just feels like a whole nother dimension yeah i mean i agree with what you're saying it's got the elements of that you know, post Cyprus Japan sound, but this is on another level, I would say. Yeah, it, it, I think, you know, for me, and I've talked to some other people who feel the same way, why so many of us love this show is it doesn't sound like a, another fish show. Like it is so far out from most of the other top tier shows where, you know, you can play a 10 minute section from this second set and you know exactly what show it is. Because yeah. you're so different than everything else. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and like really it's like, you know, they're how it's hard to even talk about it at some level because you know it's it's just beyond words, but like the band is playing as one unit as much as they ever have in their entire lives. Like, yeah. you know, it's 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 almost not as if they're even playing off each other, which of course they are but like it's that they're creating this like 
incredible collaborative soundscapes like in the moment with like it sounds effortless yeah you know and that's that's really like one of the vibes of this set is that it, it sounds really effortless and you know the best fish often does it almost sounds like the music is playing them on some level you yeah. know but uh it's just uh you know i'm getting like goosebumps just talking about it frankly but it's uh it's just such a special night of music and it was not a surprise although we were all very excited when back whenever they released it on the live fish series it was it was almost like a stamp of approval at that point. We're like, yeah, of course you're going to release this. That was like the shit, you know? So, I mean, I guess that's um, an interesting, you know, we, you know, we're so far removed from that. And even the old, you know, you writing on fish thoughts after every show and, you know, starting in 2009 and we could pop on the internet. And even if we didn't listen, I could read your review the next day and get an idea of what happened. I mean, we talked a little bit about this in the last one. So, I mean, this show happens. There's what, 500 people seeing there. The internet's barely kind of, you know, going around. Like you must've been just screaming from the rooftops to people like you, you don't even believe what just happened. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I wrote a review of it the next day, I think for jam base, which is funny in retrospect, but uh, yeah, like that was the vibe. Like there was just like, you know, walking out of there, there was like very little to actually say on some level, but there was like this <laughs> unspoken understanding between all of us that like, holy shit, like what just happened, you know? Um, yeah. So, all right, we'll, we'll, let's get into it a little bit here. So you, you mentioned the back on the train to kick things off, which is, I mean, one of the best versions of back of the train. So, I mean, if you start to break this down, you have like a top tier gumbo, you have a back on the train that's among the best. And it's really, really groovy and dancey. And I just envisioned myself being in that club dancing my ass off to that. Yeah, it was, uh, it, it's interesting. It's like, it's like this like energetic uh, injection at the beginning of the set. And then it ends. And it was like, <clears throat> to that point, probably the best version they played, most extended, you know, version at that point. And then it just, the set takes a left turn though, you know, it's almost like that was a, uh, that was a means of of just getting getting shaking out the, the going again. yeah shaking off step break or yeah. I don't know exactly know what what to say but then you know I feel like at that point you know that ends and then this just like majestic suite of music unfolds but absolutely like it was a a super high energy and extended version of back on the train so. The left turn takes off and twist starts up and there's certainly been some good versions um, of twist up until this point, some monumental versions of twist. It's always been one of my favorite songs, hands down. I'm, I'm a top five favorite fish song. I love twist and it just has everything. I love the lyrics. I love the, the grooviness of it, the crowd participation. And then, you know, twist jams can go anywhere. So. Yeah, and, and there's very little amount of song before the jam starts. Yeah, that would be a great thing. Um, but yeah, it is. It is kind of this. Uh, there's no preset direction for a twist jam. You know, I mean, they they can stay within like the the structure of the song per se, but then if they're going to take it out, it can go anywhere. You know, and I would say this one pretty much did that. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, this is probably my, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, there's, I, I 
try to shy away from ranking things, but like this is, is, is my favorite version, you know, this or maybe Nassau, you know, there's, there's a couple versions that are right up there on that level. Sure. Um, but this is just, uh, as I said a minute ago, it's really just like my favorite style of fish improv, which is kind of like that spacier, you know, I think ambience an overused term, but I think that on some level that kind of fits here, but, you know, I think that there's also to this jam, like it doesn't go full blown ambient where they, they lose all sense of rhythm or which I also love. Frankly, I, I love those super amorphous ambient jams too, but this doesn't totally go there. Like they're always like connected rhythmically despite it being really far out at the same time, which kind of creates this very unique dichotomy to the jam. And so it's uh, it's just a, a super special version. And, you know, I always, you know, I think jams really wind up elevating when Trey lays back, you know. I think sometimes when he's up front too much, that it overpowers things. And that sure. when he's he's as back as you can be in this jam and it really allows like every note played by each member to really just like be heard in this really profound way and uh it just creates this real power to the music there's a uh a section here that is among my favorite parts of any fish jam and we, you and i have talked about most of our favorite jams feature page on the grand piano and he switches to the grand piano and lays these just silky, heavenly melodies. It's about seven or eight minutes in. And every time I hear it, I just get like you, you had the goosebumps. That's where I get it. And oh, it's just so gorgeous. And it's, you know, everything has has fizzled away by that point. And he just drops the perfectly timed notes. And, and I just it melts me. So I want to play that little clip right there. And then we'll come back and talk a little bit about the rest of this jam here.
Let's kind of finish talking about the twist. Let's get your feelings as kind of as we finish up with the twist and then it comes back and then we go into the the next jam uh, after twist concludes. Yeah, I mean, it just kind of keeps getting further, more abstract and more abstract. And then they hit this like really wide open spacey point where, you know, you weren't really sure what was going to happen. And then Trey kind of like comes out of like the depths of, of, of this space with like the the ending notes of the twist jam and it, everybody just kind of like comes back up and it's uh it's, it's a really cool way of ending it, but you know, they, they do, they end the, the twist, but you know, they, they don't stop playing and they bleed right into this uh, incredible section of improv that starts right up right out of it. And so it was just, as I mentioned earlier, it's just like another uh, example of just the, the real flow of this set like you know there's just uh they just kind of like they hit the end of the song and then they come right out of it and they're just they just keep moving forward yeah and i i I would when i listen to this i usually forget what i'm doing or where i'm at usually so i can only imagine you had to you had to forget what song it was i'm assuming at the moment like you had to have song at this (laughs) yeah right right. but i mean they just which is the, that's like, that's what I always like. That's, I've said this so many times, like, you know, it would be so great sometimes if fish just didn't worry about playing songs and they just came up and jammed, you know, and essentially the twist ends and they're not really concerned about playing another song. They just are in the moment and are continuing this flow that they're feeling and they just start improvising and go off for somewhat like 18 minutes or something yeah so i mean you put the twist and the jam after it together and you're at 34 minutes which is just a monster jam uh with very little you know like you said twist doesn't have a lot of words and they come back to the to the twist theme for what 30 30 seconds seconds. yeah so i mean really you probably have in those you know 35 minutes 32 minutes of improv so i mean it's it's a pretty much a dream and it blends together so well. I mean, there's, you know, some of the bigger jams that reach that 30 minute mark, they have like clear, distinct cuts in them sure. where they, they shift completely to something different. And a lot of times that leads to incredible stuff. This doesn't have that at no, all. Not in any way. Um, so I, I, yeah, I think this is the centerpiece of the show. And I know you, you spoke of that as well. 
But I mean, just to kind of go with the flow, the way that they transition into walk away, which is an amazing call. And the segue into it is is perfection. Oh, yeah. I mean, let's not skip over that, like, incredible piece of music, though. Um, like, so, like, you know, they start with this, like, super laid back groove or Mike kind of comes out and, you know, is playing these, like, heavy handed bass lines. And the band just kind of, like, very gradually, like, kind of comes up around him and they get into some as the as the piece progresses into some of just like the nastiest rhythms and, and dance grooves that you've heard and it all just happens so organically and uh it you know fishman gets into like some ridiculous like beats that are like highlighted with some hi-hat rhythms and it's just uh it's just you know fish music and fish improv on the highest level at this point you know they're just feeling it yeah. and and just allowing it to flow through them and then eventually yeah trey starts directing them towards walk away but it's not in a way that he often does where it's jarring or kind of disruptive of the jam he kind of like hints at it the band kind of gets his vibe and they build to it together and it's very seamless but yeah man i mean that that piece of music after the twist before walk away is is really something. I, I listened to that a couple times this week, getting ready to do this episode, and I'm just like, just kind of like staggered listening to it. You're like, man, like, like who is this band? So let's play that piece of music that Dave just called staggering. This is the last five minutes of the jam that comes after Twist, leading into Walk Away.
yeah, there's not a lot that sounds like that. And I, I, I love your point about walk away. I couldn't have said it any better. Like it is usually jarring and it is usually just this rock and ripping, you know, guitar heavy, but it, it's just like you said earlier, it's, it's egoless even in the way he does it. And it just smooth. And it's just, that's what makes it so incredible. Yeah. And then, I, and also I love how they kind of drop out yeah. of walk away, whereas they don't end long. They just kind of like, this, uh, they kind of like allow the lyrics to end and they keep this groove going and they just keep, they just keep moving into uh, this bass groove and then eventually kind of bring it down into like an ambient, a, a more truly ambient section in this part where there's very little rhythm and uh, it's very quiet for a few minutes. You know, at, at no point are they rushing to figure out what's going to happen next, you know? And I think that, you know, a lot of times with fish, that's something that kind of, kind of is their Achilles heel sometimes, yeah. you know, or and probably, you know, it's, it's Trey's like jumpiness sometimes where like, instead of just allowing, you know, he's like forcing what's happening next or like, you know, just starting something quickly. But here it's like, they're just like dripping out of the walk away and just allowing the music to unfold however it will. And eventually, you know, I think it's like five or six minutes later, they, they hit the intro to uh, 2001. And so it's just, uh, it's just very liquid music. Yeah. And I, I think like, you know, I just love when the structure or how a song ends up is so different than it normally is. And, and we're talking about that with the walk away, like, you know, there's a point where, you know, you know how a song goes, you know, how walk away starts, it rips. And then you know how the jam like bridges off. But this is not even close to that. Like there's usually the ripping Jimi Hendrix Clapton style guitar riff solo part that ends, you know, the or starts the jam for walk away. And then like you said, this just drops and it and it goes back into the whole flow. And I mm-hmm. I fucking love when they do stuff like that. The further you go off the board for me, I'm more on <laughs> I'm more on board. And this is like there's no walk away that sounds like this. Yeah, it's great. I don't even remember. I think it was a pretty, I think, I think it was kind of a bust out at that point. I don't, hadn't remembered what the last time they played it was, but it was certainly not even in the rotation on the level that it is, you know, these days where they play it every tour, even. I mean, we could probably look it up, but I don't, I yeah. think it was a very, it was a surprise to hear that at that moment for sure. So that's the trifecta. It, you know, like we were talking about in the first set, picking songs that you don't even expect and, but they fit perfectly. I mean, here's a great example. The one that's so far off the radar, they drip yeah. it in perfectly and then take yeah. it to a whole new space. I mean, this is why this show gives you chills. Yeah. Yeah, man. It's really, it's, it's, it's the, the creme de la creme, as they say. And it, and then the jam that comes out of it, you know, Live Fish la- labels it as, uh, as the walkaway jam. And like you said, it, it does get ambient. There's, I, I mean, I listened to this the other day and, and I was like, there's a section, I think Fishman plays like five notes in two minutes. I, I'm right. like, I've never heard Fishman just stop like that. And, and then he, but and then he weaves back and he's playing all these cool rhythms after that. But I'm like, man, I mean, this is just, it's special stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's an amazing jam. It's, it's just, uh, it's just, you know, more than anything, it just shows you their headspace for the night. You know, I, I keep going back to it, but it's, there was nothing 
Nolan was pushing an agenda musically, you know? Yeah. Like, it was almost as if they were, you know, by themselves in the barn and just like whatever, you know, during a sound check or, or just like, it's got that just like incredible, incredibly organic vibe that, uh, and, and this is a great example of it. Like, nothing's really happening per se, like to advance the show along. They're just, you know, allowing the music to flow through them. And it, 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 it does become quite ambient and quite, quite quiet. Yeah. And it was, you know, when you talk about how the club sounded in there, it was like pin drop silent in there at this point, you know, and everyone's just like, kind of like jaws on the floor. Like, well, yeah, you're probably closer to outer space than in the club at this point, I would think. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) definitely. So, so then the final, Great call, and this is my area of expertise. My favorite song to see live at a fish show, they end the set with, which does not happen. They do not end sets with 2001. Yeah, like, had they had they even done it at that point? I'm pretty I, sure that I, if they have, it's very rare. I cannot remember a time that they have. I'm fairly sure that this was the first time that they did it. And when at some point later... Because I think they did it recently for some reason. Well, they did it. Uh, they've done it in the. Uh, they almost. They almost never did it in the encore, and they've done a couple in the encore recently. I think this still may be the only time that it's ended the second set. Second set, yeah. I think they ended the first set of that Miami show where Parliament came out uh, with the, the because they were teasing the P Funk songs in the end of the first set. Uh, but that was after this. That was in two thousand and three, uh, and I'm fairly sure that this was the first time they've ever ended a set with 2001. And cause I remember thinking like, you know, what's coming after 2001, because that's always a thing, right? It's like 2001 something, you know? Yeah. And so when they peaked this version and then like walked off stage, it was like kind of like the ultimate mic drop on some level, you know? <sighs> yeah. And this version is, incredible. Um, there, there is a couple times, so I was wrong. They did it in Hampton in an O three that, that was Which the time was after, after that. Yeah. Yep. And then yeah. that was the, I think the only time in the second, they've done it in the first once or twice. And then a couple in the encore. So but this was the first time. First time. Correct. Yeah. 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 And I think that's just like a fucking masterful call at that point. You sure. know, they're like, what could be a bigger exclamation point on what just happened than playing a monster version of 2001 and walking off stage, you know? And if we want to talk about going to outer space, like I feel like I do in the middle of listening to this at what, I mean, 2001 is the spaceship, man. (laughs) So, I mean, this is like, it's everything. It's in this version. It's one of my favorites. We bolded this on the jam chart. It's incredible. I mean, there's a lot of like more ambient and kind of some 2001s that maybe do you know get further out there but this thing is an ass kicking version yeah no it's super high high energy like heavy hitting like small club dance grooves where like i feel like you know they had this is kind of it's interesting because you know once again speaking of juxtapositions like that previous 40 minutes or something you know was just like so laid back and so you know, atmospheric and, and, and abstract on some level. And then like, it all just kind of like explodes in this, you know, conclusion here. Yeah. And, and Trey really steps up in the first half of this version and is just ripping some lines. Like 
it's just it's very quintessential is really an amazing call and i would agree an incredible version yeah and i love to see set closers that aren't you know normal you know it's it's just again throwing the right song at the right time you know like this hasn't happened like you get a whole set of that stuff it's just that's that stuff stays with you like because in the moment you hit it hits you and you're like man this is awesome right here you know <laughs> yeah no doubt dude i agree with you it was uh i just remember like i just remember like coming to the peak of the song and like the end of the song and i'm like and when they stopped it was just like wow like it was it was just uh you kind of like momentarily like came back to earth and like what in god's name just happened for the last hour and you know i think it's great that they encore with sleep coil it's like the perfect come down and like super quiet like they weren't trying to do anything crazy they weren't trying i mean like they had done what they were had done you know and like they got that sense too and they're like what it's just like once again like when you're writing the perfect fish show it's just like the encore was the perfect vibe to end the night after that. Um, yeah. It was, really, it was really special. And, you know, I, I don't know if this, I'm sure it happens to you, but like there's certain songs where I love where if they're kind of at the end, they have parts that make you think about what's happened before. And certainly I think for me, one of the reasons I love 2001 is, you know, the dan 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 peak when, when it hits and the lights flash, like you have like that moment that I'm thinking like, man, this is the greatest thing in the world being at a fish show. Like, like, you know, slave has moments like that for me. Like there's just certain songs where you start thinking about, man, that show was incredible. And you're thinking about it while it's like in that part of that show. So I, 2001 is definitely a thing for me. So like, I, you know, again, if I'm in the time machine, I just like sitting there in this club raging out to this 2001 and just being like, I cannot believe what just happened for the last 45 minutes while throwing down dance moves you know yeah yeah it's uh yeah i don't know i don't even know what else to say but i, I feel like I'm, yeah, yeah 100%. and i will say i freaking love sleep like sleep i think is one of the most amazing songs that tom has ever written and the music to go with it like it makes me weep when i hear it it's it's so beautiful and i love the idea behind the song so much like uh, you know like you said like perfect encore choice yeah, it really was. It's just, uh, and whenever I hear that song, you know, speaking of uh, something we said at the beginning of the episode, that also brings me back to this show. It was sure. just like, it was just such a, it, it was just like the perfect song to be hearing at that moment, you know, which is a theme of what we've been talking about for this show here. But um, it it is always brings me back to this moment and the how quiet it was in there you can hear on the live fish release how quiet it was in the room as they were playing it um i mean to say that you can hear the silence kind of sounds like an oxymoron but you can hear the silence in the room nice yeah i do like that yeah you it is incredible you know when you listen uh, you know on, on live fish how how quiet it is and all the things you hear so i mean that kind of wraps up you know an incredible show. So let's kind of maybe take a little broader perspective. So you certainly talked about how you felt about it when you walked out and, you know, we're 20 years later. So, I mean, it's, it's crazy. What, so where do you, what do you think? Like, I mean, is this, is this as good as it gets? 
This is as good as it gets for me, dude. Yeah, absolutely. And do you think that is a show? You think that is a is a set or? I mean, I mean specifically the, the twist through two thousand one. I mean, you know, everything else is well and good, and I love it. But you know, that music, the twist through the end of the show, is like it's like fantasy stuff for sure. me. Like that is that is like as good as it gets but as i said or i don't know if i said this earlier this is kind of like the perfect fish show on some level like you know there's nothing that seems really too out of place i think it's uh it's certainly among the absolute elite shows that i've ever seen you know i can't say that anything's better sure i think this. once you get to this level it's uh yeah it's it's like the top of the the top of the top tier, you know, the top of the pyramid. But yeah, man, this is this is one of my favorite nights of fish ever. There's no question about it. I think that another thing that I love about this show that, you know, recently I'm discovering, well, I, I maybe not recently, but just replaying it this week. It, it might be one of those shows that really gets better every single time that you listen to it, because. I hear that. Yeah. It seems like you get it. Like it's it's you know the general theme. This is what it's going to be. It's going to be, you know, very groove and relaxed. But yeah, like you were talking about all the kind of grooves that they find in like the jam out of twist. Like you mm-hmm. you start to appreciate that. You, you know, the band is always so far ahead of where I am as a listener. I mm-hmm. I realize how, you know, all the stuff that's going on after my 100th listen. You know. Yeah. So I, I, this show for me, every time I listen to it, I appreciate it even more. Yeah. I mean, I, I echo that sentiment. I hadn't listened to it in a while, you know, before, before getting ready to do this and this whole 20th anniversary week of Japan. And, uh, yeah, I just put it on while I was making dinner one night this week. And I was just like, I was kind of like giggling to myself. I was like, geez, man, like this shit is like better than I remembered. And I already knew it was like the best shit ever, you know? Yeah. And so there's levels to like elite fish. And, and this is, as I said, like, as far as I'm concerned, as good as it gets, but yeah, I agree with you. It kind of does get better each time you listen to it. So yeah, it's, it's been great. And it's just awesome that it's been 20 years and, you know, it, it makes it cool. The band's still rocking out and we can appreciate things and, that are new and old and everything, you know, in the, in our crazy world, it's good to have a little fish memories to go with them. You know, I agree with that, man. I agree. It's been really fun looking back on this week. I can't believe it's been 20 years from then, but, uh, it's crazy. You know, it, it both feels like yesterday and it feels like a lifetime ago. It's like, got this both vibes to it, you know? Sure. Sure. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, this was a really fun episode. I really enjoyed talking about the show with you. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty much how you and I talk about shows. We're just letting everybody listen to it. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, so again, uh, Dave, thanks. You did a great job. It's awesome hearing your perspective and getting your memories on this one. All right. Well, I look forward to, uh, to talking again about Osaka, but this one was, uh, this one was special. Sure. All right. Thanks, Dave. A pleasure. All right. Take it easy. Again, Dave, thanks for coming on the show. Again, I'll have Dave Calarco on for the next two episodes, which finish out the Japan run. I hope we were able to describe, talk about, even throw some stones at the wall at words that try to describe the 
epic nature of June 14, 2000. I thought Dave did an amazing job listening back and editing. He's, you know, he's a writer. He's got great descriptive words, and I, I felt like I was in the room with him. So, Dave, great job, and I hope everybody enjoyed that conversation. And Dave, you know, given a little light 20 years later, what happened that night, I sure enjoyed it. So let's get to the sound check. Sound check is pretty interesting today. So it reads like this. Live and Let Die Jam, 007 Theme Jam, Windora Bug, with alternate Karini lyrics, and Funky Bitch. Unfortunately, but at least a little bit fortunate, we only have one of those tracks, which was part of the official Live Fish 4 release. And that's the closing sound check, Funky Bitch. It's a pretty awesome jam, though. I have to say, this is a 10-minute version. We've played a couple different Funky Bitches, some Funky Bitch jams. There's one that's 20 minutes that was a sound check. This one goes 10 and it's very, very groovy, ridiculously good bass line from Mike. He is crushing it in this jam. So I'm happy to have this. I would love to hear a little 007 theme, live and let die jam. So there's hopefully down the road, maybe we can get our hands on that. But nice to have a sound check from this show. So we'll play that for you. I'm going to come back real quick. I'm going to play a, a show closing clip for you at the very end. So this is the sound check from June 14th, 2000. This is the Funky Bitch sound check.
last piano, please?
So cool, funky bitch. It's got a really dope jam and it's groovy and I was getting down. So thanks Shapiro for including that in the Live Fish release. So I wouldn't be Mike Lawn Memo Minio if I didn't include 2001. At least, you know, come on. You know I love 2001. As we talked about, this version is awesome. So we're getting close to about 90 minutes. So I'm going to just do about a three-minute clip, which is my favorite part of the jam. comes after the, the refrain and into the real part of the jam. And it's electric and Mike Gordon absolutely crushes. So I did want to thank Dave Fleshner, who has the odd from this show, which is phenomenal. That's what we've been playing the whole show. I don't always give credit to the tapers, and I hate myself for that, so I want to make sure. Dave Fleshner, you did an awesome job. Thank you so much. So this is three minutes from 2001 to close us out. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in to Episode 75 of the Daily Soundcheck. Enjoy your fish, and peace be the journey.
This is Mike Ganser of Aqueous letting you know the Daily Soundcheck is part of the Osiris Network. Osiris connects you with podcasts, videos, and live experiences about the artists and topics you love. Visit OsirisPod.com to check out our shows. Osiris works in partnership with Jambase, which connects music fans with the music they love and empowers them to go see live music. Check them out at Jambase.com.